I'm grateful that my parents never put limits on us and they let us explore the things that we wanted to explore. They never put limits. You know, the sky, you know, the I don't even think the sky was the limit. The universe is the opportunity is, you know, kind of how it was positioned to us. And when I think about my siblings and some of the things that they're doing, is I think it's because there wasn't a barrier put in front of us in terms of what we could accomplish. Hey everybody, and welcome. I'm Sam Coates, and this is the Driven By Podcast. Life's a lot more fun when you're all in and passionate about what you're building. This show is filled with wide-ranging conversations that will bring you insights, experiences, and expertise through the stories of what each of my guests are building. Driven By Podcast is produced by Driven By Sam Coates. And for more information on how my talented team and I serve entrepreneurs, corporations, and private families tell their stories, go to drivenbysamcoats.com. Also, for more podcast episodes and to sign up, go to drivenbysamcoats.com backslash podcast. Before we get going, let's hear from this week's sponsor. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the sponsor for this week's episode. AB Jets is a great story and great company. I'm not exactly flying around on private jets during this stage of my life, but if I were, I'd be calling AB Jets. They're one of the safest private air companies in the world. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E. My guest today is Candace Steele Flippin. Candace is currently the Chief Communications Officer for Acuity Brands, a $4 billion revenue organization, and previously served in that same role at First Horizon Bank, a $3.49 billion revenue bank. Acuity has 11,500 employees, and First Horizon has 7,000 plus employees. Candace also has her Doctor of Management from Case Western Reserve University out of Cleveland, Ohio. I wanted to have Candace on this podcast because I wanted to understand what works and what doesn't when you're communicating with 10,000 people and how to do that in a way that's actually effective. This podcast turned out to be so much more. You're going to hear everything from why her parents never held back the dreams and ambitions of her and her siblings growing up after they were raised in the Jim Crow South how generations change and how this affects work and what people want, what works and what doesn't, and bringing people together to make sure people do great work and take care of the customer, helping women grow and get the jobs they need and not staying stuck and addressing pay parity, plus a whole lot more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Candace Steele Flippin. And as always, if you like the show, please tell a friend. Have a great week. Candace, great to see you. Great to see you too, Sam. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. What's the most important thing that you've learned when you think about building a strong communications platform with close to 13,000 people in different countries? Wow. So I've worked with lots of different organizations and I believe it's really important to connect associates with the strategy and mission and values of an organization. And so to make sure that the messages that we are sharing resonate and people understand their role in helping the organization be successful and that you do it in a way that allows them to not only understand and connect with that message, but then understand what they need to do, the behaviors or actions that they need to take so that the messages that we're delivering become true and resonate and can be acted out every day as they're showing up for their work. If you had to simplify that down, what do you think actually makes people believe that? I believe that employees are the heartbeat of every organization. And when an employee understands and believes that the company cares about them and that the company um, is 
committed to delivering value, value beyond just all the important things we do to deliver for different stakeholders, but value to the community, value to the greater good, I think that helps. And so when people want to do something meaningful, I find that in my research, I find that when I speak to associates, no matter where I've been, and so if associates know that what you're doing matters and that the role they play matters, then that's a great place to start. Earlier this week, I was preparing for something for a project, and this person talked about how they transitioned from a command and control global organization to knowledge transfer. And they went in detail how they did this and they received a lot of rewards from it and just a lot of success and their growth and market share globally. It looked like it just accelerated after that. I'm curious, given the fact that you have your PhD in people, <laughs> how have things changed over the last three, four decades So I would say that value systems from a generational perspective have changed the way workers view work and how they show up. You know, you mentioned the command and control style that a lot of people associate with traditionalists and baby boomers. And certainly me as a Gen X, you know, I kind of came into that environment. However, you know, as a scholar, I study generational values and values are those deep held belief systems that form when we are growing up and we take those values into work. So I think what we've seen is this reckoning with the changing value systems from generation to generation. And the way I've seen it play out, I'll start with like the newest generation, Gen Z. These are people who were born after 1996. You know, they came into the workplace having grown up with lots of technology. And so they're going to value speed. They're going to value transparency. Anything they want to know was an Alexa question or Google search away. And so they bring those values into the workplace. And so if they have questions, they want those questions answered. They want to have organizations that are focused on social impact issues that are broader than maybe what someone who was a Gen X or a baby boomer had to deal with. Millennials also you know, came into the world maybe not as much as a digital native as a Gen Z, but certainly having access to technology, wanting that, but also a focus on wellness and mental health. And so they want to bring their whole selves into to an experience. And so what I've seen that's different is the view of the worker in the workplace and reconciling how to be an individual and still be someone who's committed to getting the job done and loyal and and activate it within an organization. That to me is one of the biggest changes. And that's what I see and that's what I study. What is it that determines the values of each generation? So generational theory tells us when and where we were born and what was happening during that time shape what's important to us. So if you were born during, let's say, the Great Depression, where there was a scarcity of resources, you would as part of your value system, naturally not want to waste. You may want to consider how you spend your time. And if you go work for an employer and you can walk into that company or organization and then come out 25 years later with a defined um, retirement program, then you may view loyalty and what a company will do for you very differently than someone who may go into a workplace now, having grown up with a lot of technology And questions answered growing up, if you play games and um, you can master a level on the first try or the 10th try, and then you go to the next step, then you're going to walk into a workplace asking, you know, why do I have to have mastery over and over and over again? I've done it. I've checked the box. Why can't I get promoted and go to the next level? It shouldn't be time bound or repetitive. And so you bring those value systems. They form when we're when we're in our early years and we just take them to work with us. And And I believe that what we're seeing more and more is a greater acceptance to value systems. And if you think about it, good things happen because of that. You know, we've seen over the past several years with the pandemic, the whole world went through a great reckoning in terms of loss and stress and a closer examination on the importance of mental health. 
Well, millennials have been talking about that quite a bit. And so now we see this focus on wellness in the workplace, which I think is great. Was there a particular experience that you had where you realized that you wanted to spend your career knowing people, understanding people, and influencing people? Yes, Sam. You know, there's an amazing person in the Memphis community, Calvin Anderson. He's a leader. And he once said to me, you know, Candace, when you think about your impact, you should think about, you know, your impact to your community, your impact to your profession, your impact to your company, you know, obviously the impact to your family, your faith. And so when I think about the broadest impact that I can make based on my experience as an executive, my experience as a scholar, I like to say I'm a practitioner scholar, you know, sharing my experience, sharing the research to help people navigate their careers is a gift that I believe I was blessed with, and I feel honored to be able to share it. What is it about helping people navigate their careers or helping people this way? Prior to the pandemic, I was looking at the research around women, and there were so many strides that women were making in their careers. Now, if we do a flashback of me growing up in the 80s, there were so many messages that were given to girls about our potential. And a lot of us realized that potential. However, there were still some gaps some gaps that needed to be addressed. And so I felt really fortunate going into 2020 with a great body of research to help women advance their careers. And where I was going with my research was not so much of the barriers that we know, but what are things that women do ourselves that we may not be even recognizing that we're doing? And so I did some research and I actually was honored through TEDx Memphis to do it at TEDx Talk that share five things that women can do to help us position ourselves to achieve more career success. And so, you know, I launched that TEDx Talk right at the start of the pandemic, but the message has resonated so well of five things women can do. And that took me down a path to write a book about it, to develop an assessment about it. And it has been really well received. And so I feel blessed when women talk to me about how they're using it to advance their careers. And men who have women in their lives who are using it to help them as well. Both of them and how they complement each other for that path. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and what I will say is it's, we don't often talk about our careers in a very appreciative way and thinking about action steps that you can take and by not knowing how you're getting in your way. But when I've talked to women throughout my entire career, whether it was starting with my friends or family members or coworkers or mentees, or acquaintances, a lot of women have a career that they need, but they don't know how to move to the next step. A lot of women have careers that they want, but they just don't know how to get there because whatever may have happened in terms of when they approach their career or pique their interest. And then there are a lot of women who have worked really hard to earn a promotion or a raise, but it isn't happening. And so you know, I, I'm a curious person by nature. And so I did these studies prior to the pandemic. And then as we watch things, things evolve, scientists tell us that there's been some ground loss for women that some may never recover. So I did additional studies and I took those findings and put together a framework that will hopefully help more women um, achieve career success. I watched your TED Talk, but I think it would be best use of your time in mind, if I don't try to just go <laughs> off the cuff and re reflect back yes, everything I heard, yes. I very much enjoyed it. But you just referenced those principles. What are those principles? Yes. So it's a very easy acronym. It's called SHAPE. And each one of these research-based themes really help women achieve the success that they need, want, or deserve. So the first is is S for save. And that's really about creating a strong financial foundation, making sure that you understand financial literacy and that you have a savings plan that works for you and your family so that you'll be able to take a risk. A lot of people, and women in particular, don't realize that not having a strong financial foundation will get in your way of, of taking a risk. And here's how. There are many women who contribute significantly to their household. 
There are many women who are the primary breadwinner of their household. And so taking a new job or starting something new is risk. But if your family is counting on you, then you may choose not to take that risk because if it doesn't go well, then your family or your livelihood is in jeopardy. And so what my research suggests is that if women have a strong financial foundation, they're more apt to take risks. And by taking those risks, you learn, you grow, you advance, and you move your career along. The number you said was six months, right? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's going to depend by person, but I think three to six months is a good place to start. And this pandemic has helped us understand more time saving is better than less time saving. But even if you haven't saved yet, it's just getting started and then setting a small goal for yourself and then keep going and surrounding yourself with people who can help you, who are professionals in helping people navigate their financial futures. Is there something you saw? I know that you got your bachelor's degree from University of Michigan, and then you got your MBA from Johns Hopkins, but also know that you started out in pharmaceuticals. Yes, I spent a great deal of my time in healthcare and pharmaceutical, biotech and medical device. Was it just merely your curiosity or was it credibility or was it just a strong interest in really understanding the data and understanding the truth for you to go back and get your PhD at Case Western? Yeah, you know, so it's it's interesting. The second part of the the framework is called hard work, and that just stands for really being aligned with the person who evaluates you and your work. And no one's going to tell you not to work hard or work smart, but where women fall down is with that alignment. And so, as you know, as I was going through my career, I was really thinking about having a long career. Careers are journeys, and I've always had a lot of curiosity. And one day someone came into my office and we were at that time launching this huge product and this leader closed my door and I actually thought he wanted to talk to me about what the comms plans were, you know, the communications plans for the launch. But what he said was, okay, Candace, these millennials, they are driving me crazy. <laughs> he went on to say, I had this meeting and I was telling them what I needed to have happen. And they're asking me all these questions and they're pushing back. And I just don't understand. And I was like, wow. Hmm. And then later that week, I had um, several mentees who we were, I think, having lunch or a meeting. And they were like, Candace, these baby boomers. Oh, my gosh. And it was really interesting to me. And so I, you know, I went to Google and I started researching, trying to find information for communicating better across generations. But back then, this was 15 years ago, it was very negative (laughs) and it was nothing appreciative. So I actually went back to school to contribute to the conversation, to understand the dynamic. And I thought that, you know, there's got to be a way to bridge the gap. We spend as adults 70% of our time, our waking time in communicating, whether we're listening like folks are listening here or talking like we're doing or writing or reading. And so I thought communications would be a really good bridge. And so that actually set me on this journey. And it wasn't an easy journey back then. But as I finished, so much momentum had started. And I just really wanted to make sure more people and different generations could be aligned with their boss. Because what I realized is everyone pretty much wants the same thing. It's just that over time, our value systems change from generation to generation. And in the absence of that communication, there's misalignment. And what's the same thing that everybody wants? From a professional perspective, people want to know that what they're doing is fairly compensated. They want to know that their performance matters in terms of training and development. They want to have work-life balance. And what's interesting in my research, I found that work-life balance was third. You know, compensation and performance were in the top two. Work-life balance was number three for all generations. And so it's, it's, it's really interesting if you're having a conversation that you understand where people's value systems are and what's going to motivate them to do their best work and the things that you can do to create an environment where people can show up and feel they can do their best work. So it is possible to have a melting pot of generations. 100%. And still have a high-performing organization. Absolutely. 
when I started this work, there was a lot of scholars who were saying at that time, this was like 2012, 2013, you know, they're up to five generations in a workplace. And some still have that many associates in their workplace. And you know, I, I feel the more you bring diverse people together, the richer the experience. Hey everybody, we're gonna take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card that gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the US. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888 520 Jets, that's J E T S, to travel on your own terms. When you think about the research or when you look at the research, either through what you do in your own time or what you've done from a professional standpoint, how do you know what research to pay attention to and what research to ignore? Gosh, so I follow trends. You know, if I read or see something and I'm thinking about trends and it makes me try to unpack why people are behaving a certain way or what the implications are. And so, you know, I, I try to follow trends and then go into the field and ask questions, either it's focus groups or interviews or qualitative studies using surveys. So that's, that's kind of what I do. When I actually see others research, it makes me question. And sometimes I'll go back and look at the data and try to understand, you know, how it applies. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a judgment call of what really resonates with you and understanding the source and whether or not it's a credible source, if you believe that source is credible. And I've been fortunate. I think there's a lot of really great data about the changing workplace. There's a lot of um, incentive as we think about employee populations in terms of the ability to retain and attract good talent. And so a lot of people are really digging into it to understand how they can build a workforce of the future. You mentioned work-life balance was number three. Most any executive I know or entrepreneur they're working a lot. And many would say that they don't have much work-life balance. I know that's not the same across the board, and I don't want to dramatize that statement. But what does that look like to you from your research and from your profession? Let me start with um, some of the theory around discretionary effort, right? So, you know, work-life balance, I believe, is a choice. And so if you choose, and 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 I actually sometimes think it's a myth, you know, it's, if you make it a binary choice, if you're always choosing one over the other, then you're robbing from one, right? So it's a choice of where you want to spend your time. And if you want to spend more time at work and put more discretionary effort to do more, as you mentioned, or season or whatever the case may be, maybe the reward's going to change in any um, organization. And so, you know, I start with, you know, what's going to motivate people to put in that discretionary effort to be successful? And do they have the information they need to know that what they're doing matters? And, and do they have the information that they need to be able to align around what matters? And can their managers, you know, communicate with them in a way that is relevant, it's timely, it's accurate? And speaks to that individual's needs, you know. So let's let's talk about work life balance because it's it's been a it's been a topic and it's morphed into that whole quiet quitting that you know we've heard about. I, I really believe that it's it's personal because what's going to work for one person will work for another. When I started this research, I thought that work life balance was going to be a huge part of my discussion, and what I found speaking to Gen Zers. And millennials is that many of them understood that in order for them to be successful, they had to put in the time based on the requirements of where they were working. And they didn't mind that. But what they wanted to do was more to have more discretion over how they worked 
and when they work so that they can make their life work. You know, it used to be this binary choice, work and life. I'm either going to work or I'm going to have my life. And what's really happened is over time, people have integrated their work and their life so that they're able to do more things that give them, I'm doing air quotes here, happiness in, in their personal life. So, and in addition to that, this whole gig economy has risen and, you know, over 40, I think it's like 49% of people under 34 have a side gig. So they're they're doing their full-time job and then they're following their passions to gain other income. And so this whole notion of work-life balance is really more work-life integration because people have their primary job, then they have their passions and many of these passions also earn them income. And so what I've seen is, is really just trying to be clear about the expectations and creating environments where people can come and do their best work while they're there and align around the mission of the organization and the values so they can make good decisions for themselves. And then the question that you didn't ask that people ask me all the time is, well, then why would I go through the trouble of creating all these things and investing if people are going to spend a short tenure? Average four years per salary employee. Yeah, and and what I will say is, The goal is to be present with that associate for as long as you have them and and create the value so that when they're there, they're fully present and activated and engaged. And so if you if you start off thinking about they're going to be leaving, then you're missing the opportunity to develop a good relationship with that employee who may stay longer than four years. But every day they show up, you want as much of them fully present and engaged. And so I focus on how do you engage associates each and every day when you're with them so that you can have as much of them as possible? Because we know that almost half of them, based on one study I recently read, are doing something else. They have other passions, myself included. You know, I'm a researcher. Part of my passion is sharing the future of work and what employers can do to strengthen, you know, their workforce and their leadership opportunities. So, you know, I, I, and I don't think I'm alone. How do you let the data drive your own decisions and your own emotions? You know, I feel like it's made me a better leader because I'm, I'm asking the question, why, why are these things happening? And then trying to come up with practical solutions so that I can improve as a leader, I can share these insights with others and so that the workplace works for more people and so that there's greater productivity and progress. And so that's, you know, that for me is is, is appealing. You know, I also have the occasion to come across people who've read my body of work or who have heard me speak or have watched the TEDx talk or read one of my books. And they talk about how what they've read has helped them. And so that motivates me to keep going. Is there a particular executive over the last 10 years that comes to your mind when you think about somebody that's really nailed this? Gosh, there's so many who come to mind. You know, I have the great pleasure of working for Brian Jordan, the CEO of First Horizon. And I just felt he was a outstanding quality leader very well engaged, you know, had great contributions to the organization, extraordinarily respectful and respected, you know, outstanding contributions to the community. And, you know, I learned a lot from him um, in, in that regard. And I saw him firsthand engage across our organization and be very intentional about that. And so he's someone who certainly comes to mind for me, you know, as a leader right there in Memphis. What struck you with his intentionality, the way that it resonated so strongly with you? He asked great questions. He, he asked great questions to seek to understand and inspires other people to do the same. You know, I don't feel that he ever rushed to judgment. And so I thought that was really, really um, an important quality. You know, that curiosity, that intellectual curiosity, and that you know, humanity about it. And he's just, a, I think, a great business leader. So that's something that um, I, I certainly learned from him. Another leader um, I think about is early in my career, my very first mentor. I was in my 20s and Jim Farmer, who was a former executive of the General Motors Corporation, 
He took me under his wing very early on and helped me um, see broader about the opportunities that I had as a communicator to focus on business and to focus on trying to solve business problems through communications. And I think that that stayed with me throughout my career and even as a researcher looking to help solve problems and provide solutions that are practical, um, that people need answered. Can you give an example? Obviously, nothing modern day, but is there something there that's significant where you solve legitimate business problems through communications that was pivotal for you? He shared with me that at the end of every business decision is a person and never lose sight of that person. And so whether you're doing something that's exciting that you want to announce as a part of a business decision or those unfortunate announcements that impact people's livelihood, maybe there's a downsizing or a strategic decision that where someone may not be able to move forward with the organization to consider the impact on that person, their family, their community. So that humanity about it is, is something that stays with me. Even now, you know, not everything that we have to announce is going to be positive. And I think that that counsel resonated me at the start of the pandemic when people, we all kind of went home. And I often thought about not only what we needed to do to communicate, to get the business done, but helping people manage the stress that they were going through, helping managers manage their own stress, and then help them carry message to manage their teams. And so always thinking about at the end of every decision, there's that human and never losing sight of that. Do you ever get overwhelmed thinking about how many people you're responsible for communications for? That's a great question. I would say that I don't believe I feel overwhelmed, but I think that's probably more of an indicator of my faith. I start every day with prayer, every day, and guidance. And so, and I know that I don't have to go it alone. I have an amazing team. We have great leaders in our organization. And so I've never felt that it all rested on me, but I do take the responsibility very seriously. And so from that perspective, you know, it, it can it can maybe feel daunting, but I don't know if I feel overwhelmed because I have an amazing team and we have a strong plan and commitment and good values. And so I'm not afraid to ask for help. And so that helps. But thank you for asking the question. What, was it okay to ask that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I and, and it's it's true. I, I you know, I, I'm a person of faith, and so you know, I every, every day I open my eyes and I'm thankful, and I not only do I think about grace for myself, but also trying to extend grace for other people. I just couldn't imagine what that's like thinking about pivoting on a dime with COVID, and then feeling the humanity the way that you framed it, because you don't you sound like you're in touch. <laughs> with how people, what they're experiencing, where some people, you know, sometimes it's easier to make more tactical decisions if you don't really, if human emotion doesn't really uh, resonate with you. And uh, thinking about the challenges, thinking about the demands, and thinking about the messiness sometimes of business or organizations, et cetera. I was just curious. You know, every person has to reconcile that for themselves, but I feel blessed that I have grounding, you know, and Part of my grounding, as I've already mentioned, is in my faith, but also my grounding has been these amazing mentors you've poured into me. And I think about, you know, what type of impact do I want to make? And I want to make a significant, relevant impact. And I believe everyone has something to offer. And what I try to offer is, you know, some humanity to the work that I bring, recognizing from a very early tenure in my career that at the end of everything I communicate, at the end of every decision, there is a human. And I think about those individuals, you know, when they go home or if they're working remote, they leave one room or they turn their chair and they have to interact with other people in that household and the impact that those decisions make. And I never lose sight of that. And I feel grateful that I receive that feedback so that I don't. How do you stay true to your values to where someone else's motives of leveraging communication, you don't have to endorse something or support something that you don't believe in? I feel pretty grounded in my value system and my ability to use my voice to communicate if I disagree. 
It's not always my decision, though. So that same mentor once told me, you know, Candace, you're not always going to be the person who has the final decision, but your job is to counsel well. And so to the extent that I'm able to capture all the information that I need to capture to be able to counsel well, I feel good that I've done that. Sometimes I have to go back and repeat it. But at the end of the day, if it's not my decision, I can try to influence the decision and I feel good that I've done my job. And you have peace about it because you know it's not your decision. Right. That mentor had a huge impact to your life. He was amazing. I mean, you know, and I've tried to pay that um, grace that he gave me forward and try to mentor people as well to help them develop their career and have tools in their armamentarium of their career set that they can use and count on. And it was good advice then and now. Was there a particular moment that you can think about where you're like, I'm going to go write this book or I'm going to go for it? That was a defining moment in your career. Well, yes. When I started my doctorate degree, my older brother who has his PhD, he's a chancellor at a university in the Northeast. He said to me, listen, Candace, you know, when I graduated, my dissertation was published. So you should be writing your dissertation with an eye to publish it. Um, But we were in different disciplines. And there came a time as I was going through my process when one of my advisors was like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to get it so I can submit my manuscript to be published. And he like laughed. (laughs) He was like, you have two choices. You can finish these requirements and defend this and get this done and get your doctorate degree and go off and do whatever you want. Well, you can stay here forever trying to think you're going to publish for a manuscript, which it will not be as a young scholar in this business management discipline. So you choose. So I finished it. <laughs> immediately when I finished, I was invited to be a, an engaged scholar. So a fellow at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. And the very first thing I did is a study and wrote my first two books. Okay. So, you know, keeping up with your siblings. Yeah, family. Yeah. And then my last book, after I did the TEDx talk, a lot of people found value in it. And several of my mentees who I dedicate the book to pushed me to write a book. So I did. I'm sure you have several of these. But when you think about the relationships and the influence you've had over people that you've mentored, is there a particular story that sticks out to you that you go back to? Gosh. You know, there've been so many incredible people whom I've met throughout my career. I guess it's the strangers, though. I'll share a recent one. In the last three months in my email box, I received an email from a young woman, and she told me that she had read my book and she had followed it, and it really helped her in her career. And she asked if I would sit down and speak to some of her friends. And I agreed to do that. And it was really enlightening for me just to reconnect with, you know, women who are in their mid to late 20s, just kind of launching their careers and the type of guidance that that they want to get the, the most out of their careers and being able to have a resource. I had honestly forgotten about that time and what that was like when you're moving fast and opportunity is coming and you're in the midst in this case of a pandemic and how do you you know how do you kind of come out of it at the other side and so when I left that meeting it was just like an hour with them we were together like three hours and as I was driving home it just made me feel like I had a huge impact on these women who some of them I may never even meet again but one day, decades will go in their career and they'll maybe be asked the question about who may have had an impact and they can share a story like I just did about my mentor. Has having a personal brand ever cost you? When you are a communicator, everyone expects you to have a certain presence. I'm a presence, particularly in social media, and I have never really thought my life was that interesting. <laughs> but based on some of the amazing people I happen to be blessed to know. And so I try to work hard at it, but there have been times when I remember when Instagram first started and I was just like, oh, just one more platform. 
And um, there were people who came to me and said on my team, Candace, you have 11 followers on Instagram. Like you're embarrassing. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta get out there and do more. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do that. But you know, some street cred, you know? And so I had to put more work into it and really think about what I wanted to say and what I wanted to communicate in certain forums and, you know, really being careful that people understand that I'm still plugged in and take my full-time job very seriously and I'm focused on my scholarship very seriously. And I'm trying to impart some wisdom so that women can get more out of their careers and People who are Gen X, Millennial, and Gen Z can get more out of their careers and baby boomers can help and be a part of the conversation and balance that. So people understand that, you know, the things that I'm primarily responsible for are the things that I'm primarily responsible for. So you really want to make sure that there's good alignment alignment there. So I try to be careful. The other thing is, you know, I am a corporate spokesperson, so I have to really be mindful of when I speak. Um, as an individual, that I'm not doing anything that will put my company in jeopardy. You know, I have a responsibility to do that. And so there have been times when people have wanted me as a person to speak out on different issues, but, you know, I wear another hat and I have to be really careful. And so in, in some instances, I choose to be silent where people may want me to use my platform around political issues or certain types of social issues. And I just don't do that. And I know that disappoints people sometimes, but I have an obligation. Right. I'm just imagining maybe criticism or I'm not saying there is. I was just curious if through the influence or or writing books or speeches or all these other things, if that would ever have gotten you criticism where somebody might try to use it against you saying it's a distraction or something like that. Because I think generally people feel concerned about putting themselves out there. And you've shared a very clear story and, and just a narrative of your own journey and your own process and your love for people and influence and opportunity. And so I just didn't know if it had ever cost you in any way. Um, no, but if someone comes to me and has a conversation, I'm happy to speak about like what I'm doing or why it's important. And I think just a, a conversation is helpful in that regard. I, I, what I've found is really more people being disappointed that I don't engage around certain topics. You feel that people want you to speak to something, something going on modern day in a very clear way, and you just can't sometimes. On certain topics or, you know, because I do a lot of research and speak on Gen Z or millennials that but I'm a workplace scholar. And so people want me to engage on other topics that are not workplace related, like maybe what they're buying or what they're wearing. And that's just not my research or to comment on on popular media or TV shows or things like that. And that's just not my jam. And so it's, it's really about people where, where I engage, but I'm very clear about what my obligations are and I take them very seriously And so I try to be mindful of that. If you could give advice for the next 10 years for somebody that's either building an organization, let's say of a few thousand people or more, or several hundred or more, or taking over the leadership of an organization of similar size, what would you advise some people need to focus on and really try to strategically execute on from a communication standpoint, from a people standpoint to really roll with the changes the way that they, they've happened and the way you've seen and, and what you think, you know, will continue to happen for the next 10 years and beyond that? You know, as, as you think about your talent strategy, make sure you have a really good listening strategy. And what that means is, you know, talking to your people, surveying your people, understanding how they're connected to your values and your mission and how you get that work done. And then having practices in place to make sure that what you hear, you communicate that you've heard it and you take steps to address it. I think that's one of the most important things. What I've heard as I've kind of gone on this journey over the past 10 years, listening to people talk about the things that are happening in their workplace, sometimes they're surprised. You know, I mentioned in 2017, I I learned in the top two box, performance and compensation. And then, you know, we've heard 
shock around millennials and Gen Z wanting converse, you know, compensation, but you, you have to listen to your people and then let them know they've been heard and take steps to address them as you can, as it relates to your business strategy, your business model. You talked about earlier that one of your passions or major passions is for women in the workplace, for the careers they need, want, and deserve. Did I hear that right? You did. You did a great job. Can you talk more about that? What does that mean to you? I remember in my um, early 30s, I worked in an organization and there was a woman and her office was right next to mine. And she she had just started and she was working so hard. But unfortunately, a decision was made to outsource that division. And she came to the organization with so much hope and promise and wanted to be there probably her whole career. But in less than six months, you know, she was going to, you know, she was going to be unemployed. And I remember having conversations about her uh, with others and speaking with her and watching kind of how that played out. She was the primary breadwinner in her household. Her her husband worked, but he, he was a civil servant. She had three daughters who they were planning to send to college. And, you know, I, I, I think about her story a lot. She ended up not ever really going to work for another company. She became an entrepreneur, as many women do. But I think about at that time, there was a career she needed. But based on the way she came into that company and the lack of alignment, she wasn't able to land a role because she was heads down and she didn't network within the organization. So when the time came to shift, she just didn't have what she needed. And then I think about what she wanted. She left an opportunity to take this one because it piqued her curiosity and her talent. And she wasn't able to get what she wanted and she struggled. And then when I think about what she may have deserved, you know, life isn't fair. We know that. But she was working really hard. I saw that. I, you know, we would talk about her accomplishments and her short tenure, but the work that she put in didn't earn her a role because the business model changed. And so when I think about women getting what they need, they want and they deserve, what are some things that they can do themselves? And so my research in this case is looking at these Gen Z millennial and Gen X women and trying to provide them with practical tips and tools so they can get the careers they need, they want, and they deserve. I read that women are 46.8% of the U.S. workforce. Yeah. And that's a step back in the non-farm labor force because when we entered into 2020, women had tipped the scales and they were above men. But even if whether you're first place or second place, I'm going to round up and say it's nearly 50 percent. That's a lot of women, a lot of people in the workforce. And women are paid 81 cents on the dollar to men, right? Unfortunately. You think it'll ever even out one on one? I, I do believe it will. Um, there'll be a lot more parity in a number of ways. First and foremost, some states are requiring that salary ranges get Post this, so there's a lot more, lot more pay transparency. A lot of organizations are doing pay studies and compensation studies to look at the parity that they have within their organization by gender, by race, and of age and other factors. And so I see a lot of organizations and companies doing the right things to close that gap. And so I do believe over time that we'll see a lot more progress there. And in some professions, it's already happened. And so that's good. And so I, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't continue that momentum. You seem like a very disciplined person, given the fact of everything that we've talked about today, getting your MBA, getting your doctorate, writing three books, having a corporate career as a corporate executive. What have you learned about discipline? You know, it helps to have people championing you and supporting you. You know, I, I would say my parents plant this, planted that seed very long ago for achievement, but I don't believe that I've taken any journey by myself. You know, it's been my family. It's been, you know, my faith. It's been my friends and surrounding myself with people who keep me focused and and on track and are there for me in those moments when I'm like, oh, I just can't <laughs> look at one more statistical model. 
But, you know, having having leaders who I've worked for and organizations that I've worked for championing my ability to continue to do this research and bringing it internally into the organizations that I've been a part of. And so, you know, I, I, I've not done any of this by myself. And I think that's what sustained me. And I'm grateful, very grateful for it. When you said your parents planted the seed of achievement in you, do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my parents really stress the importance of education, stress the importance of doing your best, stressed achievement. You know, they, for better or worse, kept moving the bar. You, you graduate from college. Okay, when are you going to get your master's degree? Get your master's degree. So when are you going to get that doctorate degree? Like it's, you know, this, this achievement is celebrating that achievement, which I think is, I think is wonderful. And then also taking time to enjoy life. I think that's important too. But yeah, there was not an expectation that that wasn't going to happen. And I think about me, my siblings, my cousins, and, you know, that's just a good thing that helped us. It was instilled in you. Yeah. um, You know, I'm grateful that my parents never put limits on us and they let us explore the things that that we wanted to explore. But they never put limits. You know, the sky, you know, the, I don't even think the sky was the limit. The universe is the opportunity is, you know, kind of how it was positioned to us. And when I think about my siblings and some of the things that they're doing is I think it's because there wasn't a barrier put in front of us in terms of what we could accomplish. What made them that way? It seems that just observing people, some people can not necessarily be rooted in reality and almost Pollyannish and then other people, and I, I think I can swing. <laughs> I'm guilty of both. And then other people, it's like they're Eeyore all the time. And how did your parents, it sounds like they got that right and, and they're very special to you. Yeah. You know, I, growing up black in the South during the time that my parents grew up, I mean, they grew up in a Jim Crow South, you know, segregated. My, my, my mom, you know, they, they went to segregated schools. I mean, they knew firsthand um, the realities that race played out and racism played out and they didn't want that for their kids. Most parents, all the parents I've come in contact want something better for their kids. And so, you know, they wanted more for us and they wanted us to think higher and not think about limits. And I'm just grateful that they didn't put us in any kind of box. And so what we could imagine was possible and they tried to expose us to so much. I think now about, you know, the opera and the symphony and the places we traveled and the books we were asked to read just to explore opportunity for us. And so I'm just so grateful for that. My world growing up may have been kind of small, but because my parents exposed us to as much as they could afford to expose us to and gave us knowledge so that we can open our minds to do more, just it, it was a blessing for us. And I'm just really grateful that they were able to do that because, you know, some people never leave their environment. Some people don't push their children to leave their environment. And my mom did that. And I don't even know early on how much I appreciate. I remember in my 20s after I had graduated from college and my mom and I were talking and she was like, so what are you still doing here? And I'm like, well, I just thought I was going to wait for dinner and then I go back to my apartment. She was like, no. What are you still doing in the city? She's like, Candy, there's a whole world out there for you to explore. Go out there, get experiences, learn and grow. Go do it. Don't spend all your time here. If you want to come back, that's great. But go. And I, and I, and in that moment, I was thinking, hmm, well, that doesn't feel like love. But she was so right. And because she did that, you know, I've been to over 30 countries, many of them multiple, multiple times. You know, I, I want to get a doctorate degree. I've written books. I mean, it's because my mom pushed us to explore and do more. And that's awesome. And I want more women to be able to do that if they choose. If you don't want to, that's your option. You know, it's it's not something that I'm making mandatory, but I've seen women want more and they don't know where to start. And so my body of research is just to help women who want more for themselves to tap into it, women who want more for the women in their lives to be able to access it, men who have women in their lives with potential who they want to help have a resource. And so I feel like that's a gift that God gave me to be able to share, and I'm grateful. And they they set the bar high. They've been through so much, lived through so much. Your parents are very strong people. 
they're optimistic and they have courage. And so they instilled in you and your, I know at least your brother, and I don't know if you have other siblings. My sister and my brothers, yeah. And that just influenced you. And so you thought big, even from an early age. I don't think it was even an option. It was just so ingrained in us. It was just not even an option. And you know, I don't remember my mom ever saying anything unkind about opportunity. It was just more about this is what's out there for you. And let's help push you in that direction so you can you can aim for it. Abundance. Yep. What are you most excited about? I'm most excited about the world opening up and COVID being in our rear view that it's more endemic. <laughs> we can get back to the life that had more people in it and more experiences in it. And, you know, I feel like I'm at a, I'm at a point where I want to enjoy the things more that we weren't able to enjoy because of the pandemic. And so that's what I'm most looking forward to, spending time with my friends and family and connecting with people in places near and far in a safer way. I mean, that's what excites me. I'm thinking about my fourth book. Oh, nice. Can you say anything about it? I'm, I'm going to go back to my Gen Z book. It is still my best-selling book, even though like my publisher, I have a new book. But I think it's because of where we are right now in society and Gen Zers, you know, really in the, in the workplace. So I'm going to go back and look at my research since the pandemic and see if values have changed and what that means to the workplace. So that's on my, my list for 2023, 2024. So I'm really excited about that. But honestly, I'm, I'm excited about what communities are be able to do now that we can open back up and welcome people back into it and, you know, navigate what we see on the horizon with our economies and get back to where we were before. I'm just really excited about that. Last question I have, you talked a lot about people and when you're communicating messages, when you're connecting with people, being authentic. People can see through it. I felt that's something that you shared several times. Another thing I felt you shared is you talked about people that you respect and that you've learned from how they were able to ask questions. They were able to understand people. They were able to really hear what somebody was saying and then make decisions. And is there anything that you can speak to, let's say, like within your own career, when you don't get something right or when something happens and you know, you look back and you know it wasn't the right move or it affected this person the right way. Given the things that you've been a part of, how have you been able to potentially own that, but still learn from it and move on and not let it hold you back? Because you seem like a very optimistic person. Yeah, that's that's the gift and the curse of the optimist, right? Everything is possible with time, resources. Like I always see the positive, it's true. But the problem is like, there's a reality, right? You know, I believe that the biggest learnings I've gotten have come from my mistakes. It's okay to make a mistake. And what I learned as I started my career, and I believe careers are journeys, that it's okay to make mistakes. Try not to make a mistake twice. <laughs> Try to learn from it and give yourself grace. I remember early in my career, and a lot of people may relate to this, you make a mistake and you agonize over it. What the, the lesson is, what did you learn? And so I, you know, if I make a mistake, I own it. I try to see the lesson in it, try not to repeat it and just move through with grace. And, you know, when I manage people, I do the same thing. I remember at a point in my career, a huge mistake was made. I was working at a PR agency and my team made a mistake and it was going to cost our client a lot of money. And there were some people who were saying, lie, don't tell the truth. We can hide this. And I called up my client and I said, you know, there's no easy way to say this. I'm just going to tell you what happened. It was our mistake. I own it. Let's, you know, here's some solutions. And she was silent. And she was probably only silent for a couple of seconds, but it felt like 10 minutes. And she goes, huh, I would have thought you would have just lied about it. She goes, it's incredible that you actually told the truth and owned the mistake. And she goes, you know what? No worries. We'll just put a little bit more money in the budget and we'll keep working through it. And it was a powerful lesson that you just lean into your integrity at all times. But at the same time, own your mistakes. People sometimes forget that it's just okay to be human. Give yourself grace and learn from that. And so, you know, I used to tell teams, and I say this all the time, you know, it's, you know, try to fail fast. 
I use a boat analogy. I'm like, if we're in a boat and there's a hole in the boat and we're trying to get the water out, when that water gets to our ankles, we have to like change course and do something to get out of the boat, whatever the case may be. Don't wait till the water gets up to your neck. Like, you know, and I think about that with mistakes. It's like, fell fast. Own it. Keep moving. Some mistakes are going to be rubber and they'll bounce back up and you can get another chance to catch it. Some are going to be like glass and they're going to be shattered and you may not be able to pick up the pieces. Think about that relationship. It's okay to make mistakes. And that can be done even big and small. Yep. Publicly traded or private, doesn't matter. It can be done. It goes with the territory of life. Mm. Part of the growth, the biggest opportunities have come from what I've learned from mistakes or failures. Thank you. Dr. Candace Steele Flippin, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you, Sam, for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review. Please subscribe to the show, and you can follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram to join me for future episodes of the Driven By Podcast. Hope you have a great week and see you next time. Mm-hmm.